My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us today. Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 1 still. If you got your teal books, uh, we're on page 60. And we will be on page 60 for a split second or two or three. Uh, and then we will get out of that page pretty quickly. But if you're looking uh, for page 60 and you turn to page 60 and you panic, uh, just turn a couple pages and it'll be all right. So um, it will get better uh, very, very quickly. You guys? You guys? Okay, great. Um, all right, so we'll start like we do each week. I'll read through Colossians chapter 1. Uh, and I have, I'm just going to tell you right now, we're going to land in a spot I cannot fathom you saw coming. Would you agree, Julie? Yes. Like, without a doubt, 100%, nobody had this on their bingo card today. So, there you go. But we will start where we always do with the scripture. So, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope preserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason, also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once... You were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. 
If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 1. All right, so if you've got your teal books and you're on page 60, uh, the first thing I want you to notice and you, you may need to flip back over to page uh, 42 for just a second to notice the distinction here, but I want you to see the difference between the way the text is on the page in page 42 and the way the text is on the page in page 60. So what do you notice about the way the, page, the text is on the page differently on page 42 than on page 60? It looks like it's in kind of poem form, right? So you guys, we've all studied poetry at some point in school. Um, I'm actually, Dave, you're going to be proud of me. I hung uh, one, two, three, four, five, five uh, pictures in my office yesterday, and they are all flawlessly level. Uh, command strips are sent from heaven is all I've got to say. So no holes in, no tools whatsoever. That's, yes, not, you, should, you should lower your expectations, Matt. You should lower your expectations. Uh, but I'm also going back through, I, I like uh, reading poetry. I'm going back through some of my favorite poetry books and pulling out poems that really, that I like quite a bit. Uh, and one thing that, that is very typical, especially of modern poetry, is uh, that it looks differently on the page. And... If you just listen to, and I, I meant to say this before I read Colossians 1, but if you just listen to the tone and the tenor of all of Colossians chapter 1, it really shifts when you get to verse 15 because it becomes these statements of fact as opposed to we're hoping for something in the future or we're calling for something. It's very, uh, it's almost bullet point-ish facts about who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And then you can... You can sense it shift again. So flip over to page 61. You can sense it shift again when you get to verse 21 when he kind of goes back into this paragraph type format. So I just want us to be aware that we, we have shifted into what most modern commentators would, would view as uh, either the Christ hymn or the centrality of Christ. There's several different terms for this, but it's a little bit different type of speech. Now, the question that nobody can answer, so let me just start with this, nobody can answer this, is 
was this particular piece of text something that was common amongst Christians of the day, and Paul's just recording it here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it now becomes canon, or was this something that was new? We don't know. We have gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs and gobs of manuscripts from this time, but we, what we don't have are worship or doctrinally oriented statements from this time that are not part of the New Testament itself. So it's not an answerable question if you've ever wondered, how many of you have never wondered about that before, whether this was an existing hymn or something that was new for, okay, great. So there you go. Um, we don't know, and we can't know, and it's okay. And I'm going to land on we can't know today. But we're going to go through some deep, deep truths of what we do know before we get to what we can't know. So that's page 60. So let's turn over to page 61. So we see that structure continues through verse 20. Um, and I'll be honest with you, this is one of the things that I like about looking at the Greek language of the New Testament. Because I don't, I can't just pick it up and go, oh, I can read through I don't read Greek. I have tools that help me word through, uh, parse through each individual word. But what I can do is I can recognize the structural shifts. And that is very helpful coming at it and seeing how this is going to work. So the structure changes in verse 15. The structure changes back in verse 21. You look at uh, page 62. We notice again in our English Bible, that's nice. We're taking our cue from the Greek New Testament. That's, that's helpful, right? It feels like what we should be doing. So this is good. And then turn the page to page 63, and the structure changes back in verse 21. So today I would uh, love to get through, hey, good morning, everybody watching online. Uh, but today I would love to get through verses 15 and 16. Um, some of the most densely packed theological statements in the entire Bible. Uh, so let's take a look at those real quick. And I've, I've tried to keep that structure here. So he... let's. Let's answer the big question. Who are we talking about? Jesus, specifically, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So let's go back one slide, Dave. So have we heard this truth before, that Christ is the image of God? We've heard this before. Have we heard uh, that he is the firstborn over all creation? Sure. Uh, everything was created by him. We check this box a lot, right? Okay. In heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, these are, these are subsets of everything was created by him. Paul goes into explaining what he means. So heaven and earth, check. Visible, invisible, check. Thrones or dominions, check. Rulers or authorities, check. All things have been created through him. We, we hear that a lot, right? You know what I've never heard a sermon on? And for him. Never once have I heard a sermon on and for him. And we're going to lean into that today. And I'm very excited. So let's go to the next slide there, Dave. So on page 64, he, this is our Lord Jesus Christ, is, this is a statement of fact. This is a present active. I love that this is a, I could not be more happy that this is a singular present active indicative. This, every part of that makes me happy. The singular, there is only one, Zeke. Like, this is not the Highlander. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. There can only be one. There is one, present active, right now, continuous. So wherever, whenever you want to read this, that is true. 
Absolutely it is true. And indicative is a statement of fact from the perspective of the writer. So Paul believes this to be true because it, well, it is true. Uh, he is the image. Uh, the Greek word is icon. Uh, and if that sounds like our English word I-C-O-N, they're, they're kind of similar-ish. Um, the idea here is uh, a likeness or a stature or profile or a representation or a resemblance. Um, he is the, the representation of the invisible God. Now, when Paul's talking about the invisible God, which member of the Trinity might he be referring to here? The Father, right. He's talking about the Father. So if we want to know the Father, we look at Christ. And does this not sound exactly like something Jesus himself said in the New You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, because the Father couldn't be seen. Do you remember this from the Old Testament, right? Who, who got to sort of kind of see the Father, sort of? Like Moses, you saw like where he was or maybe his, the, the, the train kind of a thing. And what happened to Moses? He was the same, right? Everything was normal. Everything was, what would happen to Moses? He glowed. Now, I, I've never seen a person glow. <laughs> and, and this is not a like, oh, he had a sunburn. No, 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 no. The Hebrew is, is like there was light emanating from him where he saw where God was. This poses a problem for those who want to worship God uh, in the flesh. So when God comes in the person of Jesus Christ and walks among us, do you see how Jesus bridges the gap between what we couldn't know with the Father and who we can see in Christ. So this invisible God is really important. So he is the image of the... He is what you can see about what you can't see about God. Now, Thesa, we got a quote coming today. Here we go. All right, so our, uh, our uh, theologian today, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, and I'm sorry, because I want to say the G, but he's Italian. It's Vermigli. And if I say Vermigli, it's wrong. It's Vermigli, it's Vermigli, it's Vermigli. All right? Uh, but uh, Peter Martyr Vermigli, I don't think I've ever been as impressed with a picture of a saint. Like, y'all are like, what? I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. What's this guy doing that you don't see most people doing in pictures? He's pointing. What he's pointing at? the Bible, because the Bible had just been printed. Gutenberg had just done his thing, and Vermeule is saying, this is where the answer... No, 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 that's not what Vermeule is saying. Vermeule is saying, this is where the answer is. I love... He was so well known that his, his artist was like, look, we're going to make him mad if we don't have him pointing at the text. Like, this is, this is really, really quite terrible. What's that? His first sponsor, yeah. <laughs> I like that. His, it's the first, he's the, he's the yeah, Reformation influencer. There we go. Before TikTok was TikTok, right? Um, all right, so if you want to learn about him, guess where you could learn about him? You can learn about him. I thought we were on the same page, sorry. You can learn about him 
There we go. On the Here We Stand podcast. He has got one of the episodes. Has any, did anybody subscribe to this yet and listen? You did? Yay! All right. It's, there's a lot of names. I will tell you, there's a lot of names. But it's something to thank God for. It's something to thank God for. So let's go to the next slide real quick. So Peter Vermigli, uh, so, ah, I did it again. I knew I was going to do it, and that's why I knew I had to say it uh, the right way at the beginning. So Vermigli, uh, the, another one of these really savants with languages, um, you can sometimes tell how good somebody is at something by the caliber of person that recruits them. So the person that recruited Vermili to come and teach at his seminary and be a pastor in his city was Calvin. So I'm going to say Calvin vouched for dude's credentials, and that's kind of where we're at. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, this is what Vermili said about, uh, this is in his commentary uh, on the Apostles' Creed, actually. And it was just beautiful. He said, has there ever been or will there ever be a son who is a more perfect image of his father. We acknowledge and confess him as the only son of God, truly God and truly man. As to his divine nature, he has no brothers. He is the one and only divine word of whom we speak. Also among men, even though he has many brothers by adoption, he stands alone in the excellence of his grace, most pleasing to God. He is the perfect portrait and likeness of his eternal father so that he can be called truly unique. You think he liked Jesus? I think he liked Jesus. Uh, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful quote there. So I just wanted us to see for just a second uh, how beautifully, it's not just Christ is the image of the father, he's the perfect, beautiful image of the father, right? So everything God does, he does beautifully even reflecting himself in his son. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So, a couple applications and personalizations at the bottom of page uh, 64. Uh, first application, our Lord Jesus Christ is God's icon. Our Lord Jesus Christ is God's icon. Uh, most of the reformers actually used Colossians 1.15 as evidence as to why we should not have icons and iconography of God in our churches because Jesus has already fulfilled that role. Now, as Baptists, we would go, well, we don't have iconography. Yeah, okay. Pick another denomination, and you might find some with lots of iconography and art. And the Reformers would say, no, no, that's Jesus' role, and he's already done it. So if our Lord Jesus Christ is God's icon, I think we should know him. We should know him. Our personalization is to know him. And then application number two, our Lord Jesus Christ is unique. He is unique. There is no one else that fills the niche role, maybe? I think so. That works, right? Yeah. The, the role that Christ fulfills is only the role that Christ can fulfill. Nobody else can do that job. If I have a great day, like I, I made it all the way through the day without sinning, I don't get to be the image of the invisible God. Like, no, sorry. Roll's taken. Uh, Dr. Sandy Zinson told me one time, uh, I said something that he thought sounded a bit arrogant. And he said, Jim, just remember, the Trinity did not put out a job application for a fourth member. <laughs> I was like, 
Oh, okay. Thank you, brother. That was helpful. That was helpful. So if our Lord Jesus Christ is unique, we worship him. We worship him. So he is the image of the invisible God. So he's, our, he's our God's icon. He is unique. So know him and worship him. But that's not it. There's more. This is the first half of verse 15. On page 65, it says, The firstborn over all creation. Now, if, if Pastor Gary had not talked about this word a thousand times in our services, I would spend a lot more time on it. Uh, but he brings this up quite a bit. So firstborn uh, does not mean first created. Uh, I actually went back to the, uh, the BDAG and looked up uh, some definitions of this word. And it literally means firstborn or having special status associated with a firstborn. So it's the idea of like there's some stuff that comes along that because you're first, you get status associated with that. Now, to a, to a Jew like Paul, would a firstborn status have meant something? Sp- oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, let, me, let me have a couple of, uh, let's see, Zeke and Shanda and Dave. Can you all three come up here just a second? Is that okay? So let's pretend, uh, let's pretend, is it okay we're on camera? Is that all right? All right, great. Y'all come stand here with me. Let's pretend uh, we all have this exact same, slide over, slide over, slide over, slide over. There we go. All right, let's pretend, now we're all in the shot. There we go. Uh, Let's pretend we all have the exact same earthly mother and father. What does that all make us? Brothers and sisters, all right, which is weird, but it'll be okay. This is not Alabama. This is just like, we're just (laughs) illustrative purposes only. All right, so let's say our, I knew I'd get the look. I got the look. There it was. (laughs) Boom. Yeah, that's all right. Sorry. Um, Isn't it crazy that I have all this going on at once? Like, that's just absurd to me. Uh, So if we're brothers and sisters and both of our parents die and it's time to divide up the assets. For a Jewish family, this is how it would have worked. I'm sorry. Go have a seat. There we go. Um, sorry. So I, marriage was really important. Uh, let's, Dave, you're going to be the oldest. Uh, Zeke, how old are you? Younger than him. I'm trying to figure out for me. I'm younger than you. Okay, well, let's stand here then. I'll be in the middle. So Dave is the oldest. I'm the middle. Zeke's the youngest. In an American family, we'd have brought Shanda back. Don't, you don't have to come back up. But it had been a fourth, a fourth, a fourth, a fourth, right? Great. How does the math work for a Jewish family? Two-thirds. Do you know? Don't guess. Do you know? Two portions, one portion, one portion. So in this scenario, you'd get half. I'd get a quarter. You'd get a quarter. And you're like, how does that math work? Two portions, one portion. One portion. What Paul is saying, the firstborn over all creation. Let's stand up here, Zeke. It's all his. Does this make sense? Like he owns it all. All we're gonna take the Jewish concept of firstborn and stretch it as far thank you very much. I appreciate it, brother. And stretch it as far as it will possibly go. You we actually, we actually, I think underdo like i don't know if you ever gotten a meal and it's it wasn't cooked all the way like it's just it, this could have used another minute or two or 10 i don't know something in there um but 
we undercook a lot of our theology, I actually don't think it's possible to overbake this concept. All of creation, anything and everything that was ever created, Christ is firstborn over it. Now, this is big, right? It's big. So our application here, but we can go to the next slide there. Our application here is our Lord Jesus Christ is the Father's first son. The Father's first son. Now, are we sons and daughters of God? I pray we are, yeah. We're not first. <laughs> Let's make sure we get in the right spot in line. Right? You remember when you were in school and the, your teacher told you to line up and however you lined up, you lined up? It's, 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 there's really not a line. It's Jesus in line. <laughs> and he brings us into his inheritance, as we talked about uh, last week and the week before. It's beautiful. But he is firstborn over all creation. Now, this word all... Um, if I were you, I would uh, ask Thesa for some colored pencils, and I would start coloring the word all, as, and uh, specifically the Greek word pas, because it shows up a lot in Colossians chapter 1. And I have, I have focused on it so much, I now struggle not uh, getting all when I read it. You've heard it, right? You, you hear me emphasize the all when I'm reading it? Uh, because it's, Paul just goes all in on this concept. So he's the firstborn over all creation, so our Lord Jesus Christ is the Father's first son, so let's recognize him. Let's recognize him. Now, verse 16, it, Paul's going to do something here that it structurally is a little challenging to follow because Paul... Um, but the first word in verse 16 is for, or it's hoti. Um, this is the word that is many times translated in our English Bibles as a quotation mark. And you're like, what do you mean it's translated as a quotation? Because he's introducing a quotation from somewhere else. Here, we believe that it is the word because. So he's explaining what he's just made. So he's the firstborn over all creation because everything was created by him. You're like, oh. Okay, well, that helps explain his position in all things. So, for everything was created by him. So, application number two on page 65, our Lord Jesus Christ is over all. He is over all. One of the principles in education is that to truly understand a subject, you have to begin conceptually understanding and studying from the source of whatever that subject is. So if I want to study the Bible, I should study the Bible. Now, do I read quotes from people who wrote things about the Bible? Yes. But what do we start with each week? We start with the Bible. And what do we refer back to dozens of times each lesson? The Bible. Because this is a Bible study. It's not a book study. This is very different. And if you want to understand creation you go to its source because that helps frame the entire concept and all that was created so when we take a look at science or math or uh, language or history or art or whatever subject 
and we do not start with the source of what created all, we run the risk of misorienting what it is we are studying and fundamentally misunderstanding what it is all about. Which is why the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs actually tells us where to start studying when we study an area. We start with God because that will orient us to who, not what, who created all things. And now we have a right position of how to think about things. So if our Lord Jesus Christ is overall, we should study him because he will help us understand, crazy enough, all things. So for everything, this could also be translated all because it's the exact same word. For all was created, passive indicative. It did not actively come into being on its own. The universe itself is a passive thing. This is big, <laughs> right? This is really, really big. It's actually much bigger than a bang. It's God's word that did this. So everything was created by or in or by him. By him is singular. So... Our Lord Jesus created all. It's just really straightforward, right? Most of us don't struggle too much with this. We struggle with the implications of this. Like that, that's where it gets tricky. Because conceptually, you can think about, well, God made it all. Yes. And that matters for how we live and how we engage and how we interact with all of his creation. So now he's going to go into this set of four different comparisons. So the first comparison is in heaven and on earth. So our Lord Jesus Christ created all, heaven and earth. So I think we should adore him. Um, it, it makes me laugh every once in a while when I see somebody post. And if you've done this recently, I tried to find a time where I didn't see anybody post about a sunset or a sunrise this week on Facebook. So there we go. I've got at least a week of cover. So if you've done this before, that's fine. That's great. Uh, look at the amazing thing God created. And there's a picture of a sunset or a sunrise. And I want to go, pollution did that. Like, that's the science behind why we have pretty sunsets and sunrises. Because we put so much junk into the atmosphere that it's turned it colors. Like, when God created things, like, if you study the Bible, you look for a description of a beautiful sunrise or a sunset. You won't find one. Because there weren't any before we messed up the sky. Like, this is actually a really fairly straightforward scientific concept, but we go crazy, like, look at what God did, as opposed to look at who God is. And, and sometimes we can put too much emphasis on his creation and not enough on him, and I want to make sure that we rightly orient ourselves to adoring him. So I want to show you a picture of something... Uh, this is the periodic table of the elements. Y'all remember studying this in school? Miss Gracie, have you seen this yet? You have? That's awesome. Holy cow. I do not think I had seen the periodic table when I was your age. So you are way ahead of me. That's awesome to know. Uh, but this is how, like, here's the crazy thing. There's stuff on here that we've just recently figured out. There's spaces on here for stuff that we think exists but we haven't found yet, right? Which is like mind-boggling to me. But he created everything, all things were created by him in heaven and on earth. He did all that. 
And if we start our study of, is this chemistry? That science was not my jam, okay? <laughs> if we start our study of chemistry with the periodic table, this becomes our God. You see where I'm going with this now? Does this make sense? We start our study of all things with the creator, not the creation. And it reorients how we view all things. So, adore him. More than celestial stuff, more than the earthly stuff. On heaven and on earth, page 67, the visible and the invisible. So our Lord Jesus Christ created all. He created the visible and the invisible. And I think that the visible is something I can relate to. Like, Jeff, your company makes uh, fly fishing ties? Flies. I knew I'd get the noun wrong. Lures? Great. Things that fish want to eat. But it's a physical object, right? Somebody goes on your website or goes to a store and they purchase a thing they can hold in their hands. They don't purchase a thing that they can't hold. Now, that would be a cool business. I'm going to sell you something you can't hold. <laughs> well, it's called software. That's exactly right, yes. But, but Christ created the visible and the invisible. You're like, the invisible? What could Paul be talking about with the invisible? Yes. Whatever you want to put into the invisible bucket that exists in our universe, and I would argue in heaven, because he's already covered heaven, uh, Christ created that too. The stuff we now know about, the stuff we now don't know about, Christ created that too. The part of science that has caught up with God, the part of science that has not caught up with God, Christ created that too. Well, that seems like a lot. Yes, it is. It's so much. <laughs> like 95% of the stuff in the universe, we don't understand what it is. It's called dark matter. You're like, what does that mean? It means it's dark. And it has some substance, but we don't really understand why or where or how or exactly all the details of why it works the way it works. But if we don't include it, none of the equations balance. So we just kind of force fit that to make things work. Well, Jim, that doesn't sound like we understand our universe very well at all. That's right. We don't. <laughs> it's wonderful. So however, whatever you want to put in the bucket of visible and invisible, Christ made that too. So what do we do with that? Be awed by him. Be awed by him. There we can go to the next slide. Thanks. And then page 68, whether thrones or dominions. You know what we're not going to do today? I'm not going to tell you the 97 different, I got 97 in my head right now, the 97 different uh, uh, conspiracy theories on what thrones and dominions could be. I have no idea. I don't think Paul is overly clear right here. So however you want to define thrones, however you want to define dominions, any type of authority or structure or rulership, our Lord Jesus Christ created all of that as well. So submit to him, because he is greater than any throne or dominion. Isn't that awesome? We serve an amazing God. Page 69, or, or rulers or authorities. You're like, what are rulers and authorities? I, I, don't, I don't really, I don't know. Any ruler or any authority. He's greater than that because he created that structure and that concept and that framework as well. And just in case we missed this point somehow, Paul says it again, all things have been created, and now he's going to say it a different way, through him. So everything was created through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And this is where we get to recognize his centrality. The, the idea that, um, that he, is, he is so powerful that not only he created all things, but all things were created through him. Which, you know, like, that's just, just, now it starts to make my head hurt. My head hurts. Uh, Melanchthon, our guy that we looked at last week, has a nice little quote on this. He says, whatever is powerful and effectual derives its power and its efficacy from God. Where we see something that has any type of power, that power comes from God. The way that we can manipulate either physical things or structures to create authority or power or rulers or dominion or whatever word you want to use, all of that comes from God as well. It's not that he just made the stuff. Yes, he made the stuff. He made the structure and the way the stuff works together and authority systems as well. You're like, well, it sounds like he's pretty big. Yes, he is. This is why I get jazzed up about talking about God as opposed to the actual creation. Now, the creation is amazing and, and majesty. I, I think it's incredible, but it's not as amazing as our God. So everything was created through our Lord Jesus Christ to so recognize his centrality. And then this last little phrase, and for him. And for him. So all those things that we listed, all those categories of things that we listed. So everything in heaven was created for our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything on earth was created for our Lord Jesus Christ. Those, those boxes on the periodic table we hadn't figured out yet, those are for him. Everything that is visible was created for our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you look in the mirror and you see yourself and you touch your hand, you were made for our Lord Jesus Christ, which is a beautiful concept to understand. Everything that's invisible, the way that our universe holds itself together was made for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thrones were made for our Lord Jesus Christ. Dominions were made for our Lord Jesus Christ. Rulers were made for our Lord Jesus Christ. Authorities were made for our Lord Jesus Christ. Is this a big God or what? Yes. Everything was created for our Lord Jesus Christ. So recognize his significance. I'm still going to read it. I know I'm running late, but I'm still going to read it. You guys okay with that? It's going to take about two and a half or three minutes. Yep. This is an article that Jared Wilson, one of my favorite authors, wrote for the Gospel Coalition back in May of 2016. And he starts it off with a bang. I'll tell you why I hope Bigfoot exists. Told you you didn't think we'd land with Bigfoot today. Here we go. And why? In a way, I hope he is never discovered. Because it excites me to think that there are creatures out there God has made for his own enjoyment and to enhance the wonder of life on the earth. I like to think about those creepy fangled fishies deep in the Mariana Trench swimming around in the murky darkness of the oceanic fathoms, their dangling bioluminescence, their only lantern into the future. Most of them we will never see, at least not this side of the new earth, where we don't have the lung capacity or the mechanical capacity to withstand the pressure of such depths. There are species down there that we have zero clue about. I think of exotic fish in clear pools of water in the darkness of undiscovered caves deep in the jungles that human feet will never enter. In the thickest centers of the wildest forests, there are species of insects and birds that are yet undetected. And maybe there are Bigfoots in the North American woods. I mean, we didn't know about the mountain gorilla until 1902. Can you believe that? An actual large primate that we didn't know anything about until the 20th century. I believe that God made all things for his own glory. 
Anything that was made, he made and made ultimately for that end to reflect the wondrous creativity and power and love and Godness of himself. And this is why there are some things we just don't know about. If we could know everything, we'd be God. So I think God keeps a lot of things to himself. The answer is to a lot of our why questions, for instance. And maybe, just maybe, giant frolicking sea monsters and fields of space flowers on some unreachable planet and big upright primates only detected by the blurriest of camera lenses. Can you go to the next slide? God has bathed this world in wonder in such a way that mere examination can't do it justice. Recently, noted atheist scientist and TV personality Neil deGrasse Tyson tweeted, I wonder who was the first person to see a bird soaring high above it and thought it was a good idea to capture it and lock it in a cage. And some wiseacre replied, a scientist. Science can help us see the wonder, but it can't quite figure out how to help us wonder at the wonder. As C.S. Lewis wrote, in science we have been reading only the notes to a poem. In Christianity we find the poem itself. And this is why I hope we never catch Bigfoot. If we did, the fun would be gone. The mystery would vanish, poof, with a whimper. We'd lose the wonder because he'd be skinned, flayed, and vivisected. We'd have his brain in a jar at the Smithsonian, and we'd lose another increment in that feeling that there's been another world just around the corner. It's better, for now, not to know. I like that God keeps some things just to himself. It reminds me that he's God and I'm not. It reminds me that this world he's created is revealing his glory, not mine. This is part of the reason, I suppose, that when God responds to Job's inquiries with an epic journey up the dizzying heights of divine sovereignty, he includes some stuff about sea monsters. I like that God teases us with these mysteries. So long as the mystery of Christ has been revealed and we all have that, and we have all that we need to be saved and to work out that salvation, I am totally cool with these little misty visions haunting the created order always one step ahead of us, peeking around trees, leaving mushy footprints, stray hairs, and sketchy images. They help me delight in God's delight. They help me remember that this world is wondrous and it belongs to the God who spoke the cosmos into being without breaking a sweat. His eye is on the Sasquatch, you know, even if ours are not. He is far bigger and grander than we can possibly imagine. <sighs> what an amazing God we serve. All right, so Lord willing, next week we'll pick up on page 70 there with verse 17. Uh, and you should have your weekly updates at your table. Uh, if you would, lean in, engage, pray as a table. And then when you are finished, we are free to go and to worship this one who has created more than we can ever know. Ah, what a wonderful God we serve. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.